Ready for a new podcast recommendation? I hope so because I have the perfect paranormal slash true crime combo show to add to your roster. A Paranormal Chicks. A Paranormal Chicks is a podcast hosted by best friends with larger-than-life personalities who have known each other for almost 30 years who love both true crime and the paranormal. Each episode includes two stories, one told by Donna, who handles the paranormal stories, and Carrie, who does the true crime. They are Southern, foul-mouthed, and all-inclusive, and with their controversial storytelling, mixed with a bit of humor, you'll feel like you're hanging out with your closest friends. Not only that, but you get two episodes each week. Mondays are the main episodes, while Tuesdays are their special Sinister Sightings, in which listener stories are read involving things like paranormal sightings, sleep paralysis, bizarre ambient stories, scary things kids say, and everything in between. I know that you'll love it. Head on over to wherever you listen to podcasts and search A Paranormal Chicks today. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Some trials are quick to come to a conclusion, while others can take years to see their end. On March 31st, 2011, a man was sentenced to death for the murder of many, many women. A man who was arrested in 2001 and whose trial took almost five years to reach a conclusion. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In March of 2001, a woman named Samantha Ghazi Ngobis disappeared on her way to a job interview at the High Court in Mbambawe, Swaziland. According to sources, the 26-year-old recent law school graduate was standing at a bus stop in Manzini when she met a man named Thabiso Sakadzi, who, after some idle chit-chat, offered her a different job at a chemical company, one that would pay about 4000 Imalanjini, a little bit less than $500, a month which for a woman in Swaziland was not only an amazing salary, but an opportunity that not many females in the area are ever given. Not to mention the fact that, in a country where it is impolite not to greet everyone in the room, to turn down his offer would be unthinkable. Excited about her new prospects, Samantha ran home to change her clothing. And after meeting back up with this mysterious savior, Samantha was never seen nor heard from ever again. Around the same time Samantha went missing, a man named Simon Matza called to report his wife, a 37-year-old preschool teacher named Fikale, and their one-year-old daughter, Linda Cooley, missing. According to the worried father and husband, the girls were last seen the night of March 10th after he and Fakil had an argument. The pair did not live together during the work week, so she left the house and headed off in the dark to her in-laws' home. Days later, he spoke with his parents and learned that the mother and daughter had never returned home. He contacted the school and Fakil's family, but no one had any clue where she was. So he called the police, three major hospitals, and visited a group that he called Diviners to try and find his wife. According to those Diviners, they, quote, could not see her in their mirrors, leading Simon to believe that his wife and daughter were now dead. On April 2nd, 2001, near Malkerns, a worker going off the trail to relieve himself came upon the decomposing bodies of two women and a young girl. 
They had been there for about three weeks with one of the women's hands bound behind her back with deep cuts to her head and neck and the child's legs missing. Simon Matza identified two of the bodies as his wife and his daughter. The third was not identified. A few days later, in the same general area, a skull was found in a plastic KFC bag, and just eight days after the initial discovery, the bodies of six women were all found a short distance from one another, some decomposing and others already skeletonized. With the bodies of 11 women crowding their autopsy rooms, the local police urged the public to remain safely at home and brought in the help of two of the nation's top officers to help and solve their strange case. On April 12, 2001, more than 200 officers and soldiers were employed to comb the area where the bodies were found. They found 13 more sets of remains and a handful of loose bones, some of which were so recent that flesh remained attached. As news spread of the 24 bodies now found, all of which belonged to women and some children, families and loved ones of missing women from all over Swaziland began flooding the police phone lines with reports. Women whose whereabouts, up until this moment, had never really been questioned, but some of which had been missing for more than 16 months. According to the deputy police commissioner at the time, quote, Never in the history of the country have we experienced such a spate of killings. A reward was offered, investigators and specialists came from all over to assist with the growing list of cases, and information about the potential identities of the victims were called in left and right. Working with what they knew, investigators were able to track the last known routes of their victims, and found that most of them had been last seen in or known to be traveling to Malkerns or Manzini to look for jobs. It became abundantly clear that the killer, or killers, had taken advantage of their desperate need for money and a job and had promised them a job opportunity to lure them closer. A story very similar to that of Samantha Gazian Gobies. The pressure to find who was responsible was increasing by the second, with all of Swaziland descending into terrified worry. That's when, on April 25th, 2001, the husband of one of the missing women saw a man and recognized him as the person he last saw with his wife. And the man, David Thabo Simlane, was brought into the station. Sitting before investigators, the head officer in the case told him that the reason for his arrest was in connection to the deaths of a number of women and children who were found in Malkerns. Calmly and without missing a beat, He simply told the officers that he was the man that they were looking for. Although he confessed almost immediately, police and prosecution worked together to build up the case against David for the next. David Simlane, who was 43 years old at the time of his arrest, arrest was an average looking man living in a small residence with only one light bulb, no electrical outlets and no running water. He was raised in a remote part of the country and, in exchange for working at his aunt's homestead, his family paid all of his school fees until he left school in the 10th grade. David was known to spend his nights out in the forest, eating from other people's fields, and would come back to the homestead and sleep in the animal pens. When he was just 19 years old, he was arrested for the first time and served just 15 months behind bars for stabbing his own girlfriend. This became the first of many arrests mostly for assault and robbery, and the first of a few stints in prison. According to David's confession, he murdered 32 women and three babies 
from 1990 to 2001 and said that the reason for his crimes was revenge against women as a whole for a false rape charge he served time for in 1991. He claimed that while he did rob the woman in 1991, he did not rape her. And in his second confession written in May of 2001, he stated, quote, I then told myself that I will revenge to any woman if the chance avails itself. He explained to police how he lured women off the bus, most of whom were looking for a job, and took them to the Bunyan Forest where he bound them, sexually assaulted them, strangled and stabbed them to death. He also beheaded many of his victims and took what little valuables they were carrying so he could gamble it away. Several of his victims, according to his confession, were pregnant at the time of their murder. After his confession, David led police to a spot where more victims were found. A total of 45 mostly nameless bodies now sat in their morgue. In the end, due to their high level of decomposition, David was only charged with the murder of 34 women and children. In an effort to give these women their names back, police held a identification parade at the Masatfan police station where families from all over the country could come and try and find their loved ones based on their personal items. While the identification took place, David sat in the room uncuffed and helped the police and families match clothing pieces to each of his victims. At one point, David was seen taking the shirt off of his own back and handing it over to a family sitting in front of him. It belonged to their murdered loved one. They all sat around and listened as he described his victim's last moments. It was a bizarre sight to see, to say the least. While awaiting his trial and while prosecutors assessed if he was fit to be tried, David went on a hunger strike, overdosed on an unspecified substance, had a stroke, beat his own head against the wall, tried to hang himself with his shirt, and in 2001 and 2004, was reported to be very ill with a, quote, undisclosed illness, leading many to believe that he was HIV positive. Despite all of this and claims that he suffered from auditory hallucinations in the past, David was deemed fit to stand trial and a date was set for May of 2006. Because they were unable to get the DNA testing that they needed, hence the five-year delay in trial, the prosecutors in the case had to rely on an irrefutable amount of circumstantial evidence to prove that the bones found during their investigation did in fact belong to the women reported missing over the last decade. However, the delays continued, one after another, and for some reasons more strange than others. It wasn't until May 31st of 2001, though some accounts differ on the exact day, that David Syme Lane was finally found guilty of 28 counts of murder and was sentenced to hanging. He showed no remorse during the entirety of his lengthy trial, and he remains behind bars. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on April 1st. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.